let me start this podcast by saying fuck daylight savings time i didn't even know that was today <laughs> i've realized i'm a little more tired today and i did i lose an hour yes you lost an hour i thought i was you have a clock that's you have a clock that set itself congratulations it woke you up and you're like what the fuck yeah I just assumed. Why is it still dark? No, I just assumed I was a little more tired today. I was just like, well, you know, getting old and fat and dying, and this is how it happens. But I guess it's, I guess, okay. But, uh. Yeah. No, and the the long list of stupid things that human beings have done, and there is a lot of them that, you know, daylight savings time is like way up there. I'm just saying. I mean, it's up there with thermonuclear war, (laughs) right? It's. I'd say maybe they, not quite that high. I'd say they balance each other out. It, it, it it's it's just so pointless and stupid, and doesn't accomplish anything. And I mean, and because life is so pointless and stupid, and daylight saving times means nothing. <laughs> everyone watching, you should go pick yourself up a nifty hoodie because life is pointless except for a nice hoodie. Well, actually, I saw that you created some t-shirts i did i will i will be in the market soon i did actually i gotta go i gotta see if i can actually get an amazon gift card now because i think i have enough points with the e-gifter to to, they won't they won't sell you an amazon or walmart gift card anymore for actual cash or bitcoin but they will if you have bought so many gift cards that you've accumulated points in their their little point system and since I bought like $3,000 worth of gift cards in the last few weeks <laughs> due to the magic of Bitcoin. Fucking, it's at 60000 <laughs> as of yesterday. Yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's and yeah. And, and you have 0.01 BTC with your name on it. I know, it, and I know. All, all, I need, all, I need is a wall, all I need is a wallet to send it to. Well, now that you've said it on the podcast, you're going to be getting phantom wallets, so... We have to come up with a safe word so you know it's me. Again, thermonuclear war. We need we need we need codes. We need the we need the suitcase so you know it's me. There's a there's a video of this guy in 2013, and he's like he's like taking a selfie video and he's like watching his computer and he's like today he sounds exactly like Seth Rogen. He's like today we're making history. Bitcoin historically just passed a hundred dollars, and you know some people think it might go higher. And he uploaded a video last week. He's like, did I hold? He's like, he's like, you're goddamn right I did. And he's like, I don't know what to do. He, he, you can you can see that he's uncomfortable saying the words. Like it's a, it's like a shoe that doesn't fit. He goes, I don't know what to do now. Now that I'm rich. <laughs> you just see him. He's like, he goes, I, he goes, I, he's like, I own like a web development company and I like making music. So he's like, my life really hasn't changed. He was like, I live in the same apartment, but it. I'm rich now. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, any of those guys who you know back when you could just run your normal computer for a couple of weeks and mine fifty bitcoins, the you know, the, but but then some of those guys have been like their computers in a landfill. They've lost their password, and uh, you know, they're, they're, I've I've seen estimates that like thirty percent of the entire inventory of Bitcoin is uh, completely lost because the passwords have been lost. That's insane, and. That's insane. And there's no recovery. Yeah, that's there's ins- no way to recover your password on the blockchain. That's so insane. You- <laughs> that it, that that much is missing. Well, it's been- well, no one thought it was ever going to be worth this much. Very true. It, it's it's nuts. I mean, the 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 Bitcoin that I was given by, yeah, you know, it was on a tip jar. 
The only reason I have any Bitcoin at all is I have a tip jar on my website for the people who've read my novel and my other writings and slight, and it was PayPal. And I had a few people email me in the early 2000s and it was like, dude, we would like to give you some money to show our appreciation, but we hate PayPal. Because in, in that day, PayPal was really awful. They were, uh, the regulators did not come in and said, dudes, you're acting like a bank, you're being regulated like a bank. You know, at that time they were, they were just like locking people's accounts at random. And, uh, in fact, uh, you mean like big tech right now? Yeah. Well, George R. R. Martin, who, who, uh, wrote game of Thrones before, uh, right before HBO made the series, uh, was actually in a big tussle with, uh, uh, PayPal because they had locked his account for some random reason and he couldn't pay his rent. Jesus. So so I had a few people who were just like, we would like to give you some money, but fuck PayPal, what do we do? And uh, I was like, okay, I'll make a Bitcoin wallet. It was free, you know, doesn't cost anything to do it. And uh, at the height, I think I had just a little less than a quarter of a Bitcoin. It was like 0.249. And I spent a little of it back when it wasn't worth very much. But uh, at the time of the first spike, uh, a couple of years ago, when it almost hit 20,000, I think I actually did peak a little over 20,000, but I didn't hit the peak. I, uh, I bought a couple of gift cards when it was around 16. And then I decided to keep half. I think at that time I had 0.195. And, uh, and I spent about half of it at Home Depot and Amazon. The gift card thing is just the easiest way to unload it because you don't have to create an account with a broker and all this garbage. You know, they uh, you've got a few online retailers who will accept it directly. In fact, I think now you can actually just deposit it straight into your PayPal account. But where's the fun in that? Yeah, you know, it's like it's to, to me, it's, it's fairy money. It should be something. I bought a lawnmower yesterday <laughs> with my. Fairy money, you know, it's like, you know, 40 volt Ryobi lithium electric lawnmower. It's $300, which is, I was always like, that's nice. this is way overpriced, but it's fairy money. So I'm, whatever. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, cause remember, I told you that story about how I bought LSD with Bitcoin in 2016. Yes. But I'm now I'm starting to think, I mean, did I use, cause even in 2016, Bitcoin was somewhat high. So I, I don't, I didn't own a full Bitcoin. I think I just put in like 500 bucks and I sent 500 bucks to whatever it was in Canada, the website Lysergy. But I'm trying to think. You probably, we're, did, you, probably didn't spend you all probably of it. You probably didn't evacuate the whole thing. I that, mean, I'm trying to think yeah. of that as we're talking. I'm like, my, 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 the years have been turning and I'm like, I mean, how much would be left? Like, you know, because it was probably like the sale was probably like whatever. It's probably like four hundred and fifty-one dollars or something. It probably wasn't a clean five hundred. And I'm just wondering, of course not. How much? What is there? Forty bucks left, and how much is forty bucks worth from 2016 to 20? Can I even find the? Pa- I'm sure I still have my old laptop from college. Yeah. I'm sure. It's- if you can't find the password, you're in lots of company. Lots of yeah, people yeah. have been looking for their password. Well, I'm, I'm not too worried about it because I think there's like forty bucks left over. So it's my my older brother has like like five or six Bitcoin that he doesn't have the password to. <laughs> Like like full bit like like five or six yeah. of them yeah 
That's called not having any Bitcoin. Yeah, that's if you called don't have the having, password. Too. Yeah. Oh, you have got a thousand Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't have the password, right? It's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's weird it's, though. How it because if it can never be recovered, I mean, I guess it doesn't. Does that really have a real effect on the Bitcoin market? So that just kind of effectively makes the existing Bitcoin more valuable, right? Yeah, I mean, well, the whole thing is like up in the air, and it's like no one knows how it's going to end up working out in the end. It's 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 was, actually pretty nuts. I was talking to my friend yesterday, and he was like, "Bitcoin, this is going to go one of two ways. This is either going to be the most legendary bubble ever, or this is the new reserve currency, and it's going to keep climbing. Either way, in in two years, Bitcoin is not going to be between." Uh, one hundred and one hundred thousand dollars. It's going to be on either end of that. It's going to be yeah. above or below that. It's, it's and and the thing is, uh, I find it difficult to imagine it going over a hundred thousand. You got to realize that uh, when you make a Bitcoin transaction, this is something when I give you your point oh one Bitcoin. Uh, when you do any transaction, there's a little fee mm-hmm. in Bitcoin that is reserved to uh to compensate the people who are keeping the blockchain mm-hmm. you know they're mostly miners uh and uh so they'll take a little sliver of your trend you know and, and it's constant it's not you know you can be a hundred thousand dollar transaction or a one dollar transaction but there's a little fee that gets attached to it for putting your transaction on the blockchain mm-hmm. and right now that fee is about 25 bucks jesus so yeah, you don't want to go buying a hamburger with Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, if you if if if, if, <laughs> if I send you five hundred dollars in Bitcoin, what you want to do is buy a five hundred dollar gift card or something. Yeah. Because it <laughs> right that was like what E Trade was forever. It was no matter what your trade was, it was ten dollars commission. So if you, yeah, if you sold very one, similar to that, if you sold one stock or sold three thousand, it was ten dollars. But but they've got rid of their uh, their commission charge. <laughs> Yeah, well, Bitcoin can't because because it's Bitcoin. So it's you know it's built into the fabric of the whole thing uh, of how it works, and it's just it's been really stupidly weird to watch how the the prices evolved and everything. It's like I would never have done anything as stupid as actually spending actual currency to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, that would be like no, I am not that dumb. But some people wanted to give me some, and I'm like, okay, if my choice is to have nothing or some Bitcoin, here's a Bitcoin wallet. Send me some whatever. Yeah. And at the time, it was worth probably about $100 total that people uh, donated to me before it became so crazy. I mean, the, the QR code is still there on my website, but nobody is going to be donating Bitcoin to me now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, but, but it was probably about a hundred dollars uh, total worth that that uh, several people donated to me as tips uh, to my tip jar, and now uh, I've liquidated close to five thousand dollars, and I've got uh, over two thousand dollars left Jesus. at the current price, about five hundred dollars of which has your name on it. And there's a, and there is a story behind why I decided to do that. Yeah, let's get, before we do that, I just another thing I keep thinking. My oldest brother, John, 
he was trying to get me to buy Bitcoin in 2012. I think I told you that. He was like, sell your app. I had $16,000 in Apple stock. He was like, sell it all. He's like, you're going to be a doctor. He was like, you're going to make your money back anyway. He was like, lend me 16000 and then we'll split the profits from Bitcoin. And I was like, that's retarded. This is Apple. They make the iPod. And now don't it's well calculated don't feel out, stupid out, because out. nobody in their right mind would have ever predicted except my brother what has happened except my brother who was like <laughs> he was like Georgia Tech he's a fucking genius and he was like dude you buy this this is going to be the next wave of money and I was like shut the fuck up I if you do the math from the actual like date he told me to buy it oh told, yeah well I, you don't I, know. Yeah, I'd be a you, I'd be a billionaire. Take it take it from the guy who paid his house off by advantage play gambling. Yeah. That Yeah, you, you don't. don't know. <laughs> Except my brother John did know. <laughs> he was like he was like I didn't have any money, but he was like, dude, he, he he guessed correctly. He guessed correctly, man. I would be a billion. I'd be a little over a billionaire. Well, that's the way the But you know what? What other stock is a penny right now that in, in the year 2045 we're going to be like, had you just bought, you know, bubble techs, yeah. you'd be a trillionaire. It's right? like the line in Forrest Gump. I invested in a fruit company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It exactly. was Apple. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's so you can't really kick yourself for it because there's there's something right yeah. now that is the next thing. And if someone came to you and said, give me 10 grand, I want to invest in this, you'd be like, dude, get off my lawn. You know, I read an, uh, an, S, an article about uh, 10 or 15 years ago uh, by a guy who was – basically the thrust of the article was warning that the super rich are screwing themselves by screwing everyone else. And basically the torches and pitchforks will eventually come out. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the course of this, he mentioned his history was he had a high school friend uh, who – uh, had started a company and uh, he had a actually he had two high school friends who had started companies and he had to decide between you know it's like he had like ten thousand dollars and uh, the one that he decided to invest in became amazon.com and as he, he said well and now I have a very sizable yacht Jesus Christ <laughs> fuck <laughs> Again, I think it's something that if you knew, you would know. I can only imagine that the the next thing would be something like if SpaceX goes public. That's the only thing that's truly like. I don't see. I don't see Elon Musk doing that though. No, no, no. Neither neither do I. But what I mean is like the next. He wants control. But what I mean is like the next. If there was another thing. It would be the enterprise pioneering us leaving the planet, right? It'd be like this is like early West East Indies company, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> it's truly are going to an untapped market. Well, it's a very different thing. You know, the thing about uh, the East Indies company is is that in those days, corporations were chartered with purposes. And they weren't allowed to change their purpose. So the uh, East Indies Company, their purpose was to import tea and and spices from the Far East. And if there had been an aerospace sector in those days, they would not have been allowed by their 
their charter from the government to move into another business like that. This is a totally new thing uh, starting really almost in the 20th century that these companies are allowed to uh, move, you know, to, to, to switch purposes and change their focus and all. When corporations were originally invented uh, four or five hundred years ago, they, they had purpose. And their purpose for existence was what allowed them to exist. And, uh, you know, this, this idea today that it's really the corporations that are kind of running things. They decide, oh, it's like, okay, we're tired of making computers. We're going to go uh, and import some tea or something. It's like, no, they, they couldn't do that until uh, the late 19th century. And, uh, and a lot of that was that the corporations themselves had influenced the lawmakers to allow that uh, because before that corporations were seen as a tool mm-hmm. that uh, society had for getting things done that individuals couldn't manage uh, in small groups. And it's there's been this gradual uh, overtaking of that idea by the, the corporations being their own entities and their purpose is simply to serve themselves and their investors. And that was a very alien idea uh, as recently as 150 years ago, that uh, that a corporation could just decide to go do something completely different than what its charter was. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the evil that exists in the world today can be drawn down to that very thing because you have corporations consisting of hundreds of thousands of people competing against individual people. Mm-hmm. There's no contest there. Mm-hmm. there you know, we we're we're ants. We're mm-hmm. going to get squished. Mm-hmm. That that's, um, and this is the whole thing with unions, uh, that uh, you know is trying to regain some balance there. And of course, the forces on the other side resist that. And uh, it's 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 really been a hot mess for you know over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Uh, so the what what's the so what's the backstory behind you wanting to give me Bitcoin? I'm curious. Okay. Well to start this I have to let you know a little bit about the uh financial background of my uh back catalog, which has made between two and three thousand dollars a year for over the last ten years. Almost all of which comes from Amazon, of course. Um, now that's a, com- a combination that's Mopi and printed and ebook form, and it's some other stuff. The passages series are in ebooks and stuff, um, but it's uh, it's hardly ever been less than two thousand, and it's never been more than three. But it's a nice little side income. You know, it's not lifestyle changing, mm-hmm. but it's beer money, um, and that's not counting the company three years ago that decided to option the film rights so that was a few thousand bucks extra but that that trickle of a two three thousand dollars a year has been very steady since before 2010 and part of that has been the quarterly royalty check from lulu.com which is normally between 70 and 100 dollars in the very beginning when it was only available through Lulu, uh, I, ha- I got a few of those quarterly checks that were as much as 300. 
but uh, but that was unusual because there was no, you know, it wasn't on Amazon. There was no way to search for it. And I don't do promotion, as you have probably noticed. So uh, this is all word of mouth that has kept this thing going for almost 20 years now. But, you know, my quarterly Lulu check, I normally get it. It's like $80. And so I just take it to the bank and cash it and put the money in my pocket and mm-hmm. use that to buy lunch and beer and shit. Mm-hmm. Well, in January, right before you got sent to YouTube jail, I got my quarterly Lulu royalty check and it was $770. Oh, shit. (laughs) And the only thing that has changed is that I've come on your podcast and when you take a pee break, I'm going... Okay, yes. If you would like a paper copy of my book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, please consider getting it directly from lulu.com instead of going through Amazon because I get a lot more of the money that way. And I think a few of your viewers must have stepped up to the plate. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Well, you also got that. Well, you got that plug on Lex Friedman show with George Hotz. Yeah, but it didn't tell you to go to Lulu instead of Amazon. That's true. He did. The only thing that has said go to Lulu instead of Amazon has been me showing up here on your podcast. Well, fuck yeah. I mean, that, the thing is, yeah, I got the pulse from Lex, the, the mention on Lex. That was on Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, and, and there was nothing about that that told anyone to go to Lulu instead. Now, Lulu is the publisher of record, uh, unlike most modern print-on-demand books. If you look up the ISBN and, you know, it'll say the publisher of the book is lulu.com, mm-hmm. not Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody does that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, um, what you're, so what you're telling me is, is you're signing over the rights to all of your literary work to me. I accept. No, I'm signing I over, accept, I'm signing over ex- my last loyalty check. I accept. I accept your <laughs> offer and I will happily take all rights to it. And from here forward, you will not talk about it because it's not your intellectual property. Thank you, Roger. Good luck with that. Well, dude, that's fucking awesome, man. Um, the, th- the thing is, I, I well, I mean, I guess this is I didn't say it at the beginning of this episode. Roger Williams, author of my favorite book, *Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect*. My logic is, is that like, I, I truly, it is truly my favorite story, and I just think. You know, I'm not even trying to sound like a hipster, but like I don't, you know, I, I think it's up there with like in terms of like instant classic. It's I mean, it's like a Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, and it's just like it's so much, it's so much better than those because those are just those are formulaic. Those are your hero's journey, the blah blah blah. Your book is so fucked up and out there and holds no punches, and it's original. That yeah. to me, it's just like it's a it's a crime that it's not more well known. Well, you're not alone saying that. And and I, I would just say that when I wrote The End, after it, t- it took me about a year, uh, yeah, I, I, would ha- I had like one of these visionary fugues every, every month or so uh, that would be the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And then I would just spend three or four days pounding it out. And uh, the original version of the last chapter sucked. It was very, it was very, I, did, I didn't really understand where I was going with it. Uh, and then at the time we had a, a friend who ran a little uh, shop up in Covington 
and uh, he happened to just have a copy of the uh, research modern primitives book on the shelf and uh, it caught my eye and, and I bought it from him and uh, as soon as I read the interview with Fakhar Musafar I understood what I had done wrong mm-hmm. uh, that, that Carolyn was never going to go back to being what she was before the change mm-hmm. that she was a daredevil now mm-hmm. and that uh, it was it was a completely different thing and after that I wrote what the, the current version of chapter 8 and I knew when I typed the end that this was the best thing I would ever write Mm -hmm. Uh, I could feel it in my bones this Mm -hmm. was uh, a perfect story it it was uh, to to this day I I can't believe that I wrote it myself Mm -hmm. when when I when I go back and reread it I'm like uh, parts of it still stun me Mm -hmm. you just kind of uh, conjure up the muse yeah, I'm, I am grateful to be the vehicle through which whatever muse created this thing brought it to humanity. It was uh, just an amazing experience to to be writing this, and and to this day, you know, when I when I got the first vision, the became chapter one. Uh, you know, I had been thinking of the whole idea for twelve years. You know, because I had the idea for Prime and Elect and this idea of the computer uh, taking over the universe and exploding in functionality and being the Asimov three laws thing that it would have to do what we wanted and all. I had that in 1982, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure out how to tell a story about it uh, because there was this little problem with the ending. It's like, how do you end that? Mm-hmm. And most of the people who have tackled it in fiction pretty much end their stories with the singularity happening. They don't go past it. Yeah, it's, it's and, yeah, and, the event horizon happens and it kind of dissolves into, you know, beyond human comprehension. Yeah, and, and it's like, well, this is the solution to it. It's, it's like, well, we had, uh, you know, this conflict leading up to this thing, but we finally let the computers do their thing or the computers got to do their thing or whatever. And, and then poof, and that's the end of the story. It's yeah. like, well, now we're all you know, going to have, you know, but they don't go past it. And yeah. I, I, I was never interested in doing it that way. Because, um, I mean, I've had several people say, well, you thought of the singularity before anyone else did, you know, and well, you know, Werner Vinge uh, actually coined the term singularity for it in the late 80s, I think. Um, but yeah, it was the, the the way to tell a story about this event. Uh, no one really had the idea, an idea of how to do it. And uh, if you think about it, though, the movie The Terminator is actually about the singularity mm-hmm. in a bad way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, okay. So you had that and you've had a, a couple of other things like that. Before that, you had Colossus, the Forbin project, uh, which uh, was made in the early 70s. And if you have never seen the movie Colossus, I highly recommend it. You, you would like it. And it's very heavily influential on me in making, you know, in the, the original time when I had the first idea of Prime Intellect, I was thinking a lot about that movie and that story. Um, but 
going past the singularity. It's like, okay, what's on the other side of the event horizon of a black hole? Nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and it's a it's a quick out for authors, right? Because it's it's no different than happily ever after. Just yeah, exactly. And uh, and what happened in 1994 when I woke up with that, you know, just. I don't even call it a dream. It was uh, the most vivid thing I've ever experienced uh, that was basically chapter one of Opie. And I remember sitting down at this desk uh, in front of a computer running DOS and running Bank Street Writer and asking myself literally at seven in the morning do i record what i saw or do i try to bolderize it down to something that might be publishable and i just decided fuck it i'm going to record what i saw and if i live to be a thousand years old i will probably say that is the best decision i ever made fucking right be. <laughs> so yeah and, and 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 i understood at the time this was like it was just amazing it's like most people don't get the opportunity to even face a choice like that mm-hmm. and you know uh and i am deeply grateful to whatever currents in the universe uh ended up setting that up so so that i could create this thing that has been so enduring and i have done almost zip to promote it it's been strictly you know fans uh recommending it to other people and saying no you really need to read this Mm -hmm. um and to me uh that that the fact that it has had this enduring uh legacy is is one of the most amazing things because you know we all know people who are like super you know self-promoters and who who you know is um i'm looking at one of them yeah uh yeah you you work hard at it and i haven't done this was the idea Mm -hmm. The, the the idea itself was just something otherworldly almost literally and uh you know that's a thing that if it happens to you once in your life you're grateful to it and uh i've been lucky that i've had a couple of flashes like that Mm -hmm. you know none of them were as good as mopey but i gotta say looking back on it that uh the passages series and the curators i'm very proud of those two i i i think that uh they worked out really well, but none of them was as intense and as special as Prime and Elect. Mm-hmm. If um, if it does get made into a movie, I know you've already you're optioned it to whoever. I think you need to get the guy that directed Watchmen. He also directed Three Hundred. <laughs> that guy. That's who I want to. Not that I have any input <laughs> on it, but that's who I want to direct Mopey. Whoever that director yeah. is. That's the like imagery well, I get from Opie. The the people who have the option at the moment uh, have told me that their 
goal is not so much to have a movie made as a series for uh, a cable channel where you can do uh, complex, edgy things like Westworld and Game of Thrones. And uh, And also spread it out over 20 hours. Right. So you have more room to explore all of the uh, different uh, implications. And uh, so it's not rushed. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's the move is to do like a, like a, like Chernobyl, right? That was like one season. It's like eight episodes or something. Yeah. It was eight episodes. Yeah. And And it was beautiful. Yeah. And it's like eight hours. No one would watch an eight hour movie, but if it's just eight episodes, it's like, fuck yeah. And you can watch them all back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go because otherwise, yeah, you do end up getting these, you know, there's this weird filter process where it's like, I mean, you got to really be a hard hitter to like squeak out like a four hour movie. Like it's got to be justified, right? It's like Titanic or like Avatar. It's like, okay, but no one can pull an eight hour thing. It's just like, shut the fuck up. But when it's eight, one hour episodes, I'll watch eight hours in a day. It's like a weird, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Well, if you look at like the difference between the shining, the way that Stanley Kubrick made it, mm-hmm. and everyone agrees that's a great movie, a, a, a classic in every sense. But it's not really true to the source material that Stephen King wrote, and the miniseries that they made of it uh, years later is actually much more faithful to the original story. And there are people who will say, "Well, but it wasn't Stanley Kubrick; it's not as good." I, I think both presentations have their strengths though and uh if i was stephen king well actually stephen king was involved with the production of the miniseries because he didn't like yeah he hated the shining movie yeah he hated (laughs) the movie right and uh and but i can see both you know it's it's uh i i think it would be a challenge to make mopey it would probably be possible to make uh a movie of mopey that ran 90 minutes or 120 minutes but i think it would be rushed it would would be rushed yeah yeah um but uh these guys who who have the option at the moment their 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 plan is to create uh basically like a a sales package and and package it up maybe have a, a a an initial script or something to market it to a company like HBO that actually could produce it. Mm-hmm. They're not planning to produce it themselves. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I had the uh, the good fortune to have a job in Los Angeles around the time they expressed interest. So I was actually able to go to Beverly Hills and meet with them and sign the paperwork in person. And instead of doing all this remote shit with actual, you know, notaries and shit um and so we spent about an hour just you know talking about the story and our ideas of it it was a very strange thing to be in a room full of like 10 people who were all extremely familiar with the story and asking really intelligent questions about the the stuff that wasn't actually there and you know on the page and it's like well how would you explore this and what do you think happened at this point and everything uh so they've uh they've put a lot of work into it um but you know it's everyone says you know you uh 
you, you never uh, bank on those options being exercised. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a thing that happens all day long, but they paid me scale for it. You know, they, they didn't come to me and say like, well, uh, we want an option on your novel, but we'll pay you a hundred bucks for it. No, they, they, they paid me the 2,500 bucks that is standard for a, uh, an 18 month option and they re-upped. You should, you should, tr- you should try to get in contact with Lex Friedman. Go on a yeah. show. Well, that, uh, I, uh. Why not? Actually, I don't think I did send him an email. I think I think, I think I will have to do that I, just to see I, what happens. I found George Hotz, one of his companies or something. I didn't know anything about him. And finally, like a week ago, I ended up watching that full interview. He's actually an interesting guy, mm-hmm. super smart guy. But I mean, oh, very. It, yeah. But again, it's it's all gibberish to me. So it, it, it's still – I know he's smart, but again, it doesn't really hold any like impact or value with me because it's not my – cup of tea it's not my interest I, I would imagine that you 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 watched about half of that entire show wondering what these guys were talking about. i had no idea what they were talking about but i i love <laughs> i love listening to lex friedman's podcast because i don't understand anything they're talking about like that's yeah. why i go to it is because i love to listen to these hyper intelligent guys and it's just fun trying like mm-hmm. i'm listening to it and i'm like i know they're speaking english but I have no idea what they're saying. I like. I don't know why. It's like oddly therapeutic to me. It's like listening to, you know, when you listen to a song in a foreign language and you don't know what the words mean. So the sounds mm-hmm. they make just kind of they act as like another instrument almost. That's what Lex. No, it's like listening is. to the German version of Ninety Nine Red Balloons. Yeah, like <laughs> It's just like it kind of just becomes this like it's a yeah. no different than like a drum or a guitar. You're just like it's just this voice. That's how I feel listening to Lex Friedman's. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about sign regression windows and the gauge theories of up and down quarks in a nuclear field. I'm like, hell yeah. I just listen to it in the background. And it's just like, to me, I, when I listen to it, it's kind of like watching the digital brain on like the Matrix, like the opening, like the green numbers. And that's like what I hear. Is I just hear, <laughs> and I'm just like, it's. Just, yeah. I put it on when I'm like falling asleep. I'm like scrolling through my phone. Well, you can imagine what I thought when I saw the uh, the whole thing with the Matrix with all of that shit, and it's like, man, I wrote this ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that that's why I listened to him. But the point is, is I emailed George Hawk, and I never heard back. This is like two months ago, and I never heard back from yeah. him. And so I emailed him again like a week ago. I doubt I'm going to hear back. That's just the nature of. For every guest I get on here, there's about 95 unanswered emails that don't get, you know, responses. Yeah. And, 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 and George is, is actually kind of uh, elitist and picky. He's, really? He, yeah, he has he has an ego the size of Jupiter, okay. and uh, it's, it's, yeah, most, it's most, well earned. Most great minds do. But, uh, you know, he sent me an email uh, about 10 years ago. He did? And... Yeah, that that was that. You know, uh, he he sent me fifty dollars and an email that said, uh, uh, "I meant to do this earlier, but didn't have a chance. I just wanted to let you know that I read your novel when I was fourteen, and it inspired me to become a hacker." And now he's yeah, <laughs> like 
Yeah. And now he's George Hudson. So you never told me that. So I'm reaching out to this guy like a jackass, and I'm like, hey, I, I'm like, I'm friends with this this author, and of course, you know, I'm a whore because I'm like, I want to have George Hotz on my podcast. So through George, I can get to know Lex and get on his podcast, so I can get more subscribers because I'm a shameless capitalist slut. <laughs> Meanwhile, you you just fucking dropped that on me that he emailed you ten years ago, and I'm sitting here jerking off like a moron. Like I'm gonna put George Hudson in touch with Roger. Fuck you, Roger. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, he's emailed me a couple, of, but but even at that, you know, a, a he's, couple of times, uh, okay. a couple of times, yeah. So, <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> what can I say? It's like I I just want to get you. I want to get you on to. I want you to talk with him because I think that could get you on less. Yeah. My favorite my favorite moment in that entire uh, interview between George and Lex wasn't even about my book. So he's talking my about pipetting. No, my favorite <laughs> moment was when Lex asked him what the best computer language was to use, you know, for for someone who who wanted to get into to uh, this kind of uh, processing, and now you ever remember Lex is an artificial intelligence researcher. This is what he does. He does AI, and so this he is all about high level conceptual languages uh, and and development environments. And when George said assembly language, Lex's jaw about hit the floor. Because assembly language is like one step up from hexadecimal numbers and just like putting your fingers into the processor and manipulating it directly. It is it is actually the the language of what the microprocessor does. And everything now is about higher level languages that manage memory for you, that that manage complex data structures, that automate things. And the, the, the idea is that you can't do something as complex as artificial intelligence without having the machinery automate as much as possible so that you as programmer can concentrate on the high concepts, you know, mm. and and George was like, no, you need to understand how the computer works. And if you don't know how the computer works, you're not going to be able to make it do what it's supposed to do. And this was like listening to myself uh say because i've been saying the same thing for years uh i don't like these modern techniques that automate things for you because they distance you from what the machine is doing you gotta remember when i'm not writing transgressive novels and all this shit i'm writing software that's Mm -hmm. what i actually do for a living and to me uh i I, i've always hated object-oriented programming i've hated uh all of these frameworks and paradigms that that people build that supposedly make your life easier as a programmer. But what actually happens is you end up, instead of understanding how the computer works, you end up spending all your time trying to figure out how the framework works or how the uh, environment works so that you can work around all the things it's trying to not let you do or you know all of the roadblocks that it sets up or figure out why you told it to do something that seems reasonable and it's taking eight hours instead of microseconds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've when uh, I've I've talked to people who are like low-level computer hobbyists, they they program Arduinos and they build robots and they do all this, and they don't even know how binary math works. They 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 don't know simple shit. That that to me is like, look, before you can 
actually make a computer reliably do something, you need to know how it does things mm -hmm. so that you will know whether you're asking it to do something reasonable or not. And that was the point George was making, making to Lex, is that uh, before <laughs> you... Uh, get involved with all of this high level shit that is automating everything for you, you need to know how the machine works so that when you tell the high level shit to do something that might be unreasonable, you'll know what, you know, how, how is the machine going to do this thing that I just told it to? Um, even if you're not going to go through all of the low level instructions to manipulate, you know, uh, data one byte at a time or whatever, you need to at least know what's involved uh, because there is no computer with enough memory or fast enough processor that an ignorant programmer cannot completely bog it down by asking it to do something in a way that is not practical. Mm -hmm. It's like been there, done that, got a whole closet full of t-shirts. Um, so that was my, my favorite thing. And then, and then, and then it's like, you know, so Lex is picking his jaw up over the floor and it's like, well, what would be the next language? And then he says, C. Even, <laughs> but see, like, you can see, even though like, uh, like, like you're telling me this stuff and I can see the impact it has on you. Mm -hmm. It means so. But, it but means, this is, this is a pay at and lay as far as you're concerned. But that's what I mean. So when you're telling me, you're like, and then he said, C, and I'm like, I don't understand the so like, so like any yeah. other coder is probably listening along with you and laughing. They're like, I can't believe like, and I'm just like, yeah. C C is the language that I, I know was invented. I know it's a coding language, right? It was it was the origin of the Unix operating system back in the 1960s, uh, and it is very low level. It's it's often described as portable assembly language. It's it's meant to be. Uh, a little higher level, a little easier to write than assembly language because you're not banging stuff from register to register and, and all of this low-level housekeeping shit that you have to do when you're directly manipulating the processor. But it's still very low level. And again, George was like, this is your next step. Once, once you understand how the computer works, then you automate some of it. You, you get it. You're not telling it, I want to move the AX register into the BX register and do a multiply and put the result in the CX register. Now you're just at, now you actually have variables with names and you just say, I want to take variable B as the result of C times A. I have no idea and what the fuck you're talking about, dude. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Everything that happens in a computer is numbers. Listen, Roger, you're you're a racist, right? So let's just cut down to the real source code of who you are. You're a white supremacist, fascist, non-binary, something. You know, obviously, I'm I'm doing your podcast. Clearly, right? I mean, hey, dude, you're with me. You are as far as as far as most people are concerned. You are going to be standing next to me at the Nuremberg trials because you showed yeah, up. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just like, the yeah. you know what I'm thinking is like. I was I watched a video with with George Hotz and it's a ten hour video of him like coding how to get a car to like learn its surroundings. Oh my god, that there is nothing more boring than watching someone else write software and I say that as someone who writes software. <laughs> I'm telling you this as someone that doesn't know how to do any of that. I watched it, I actually couldn't stop watching. Because just like a 
the German version of 99, you know, Luftballons, <laughs> it was, it was, it put me in a trance. It was enchanting. I just watched it. I didn't know what it was. But the thing was, oh. is it's 10 hours. And I watched like the first 45 minutes or something. But if you watch it, he does, he actually acts the way that Hollywood paints uh, coders. Yes. Like, he truly well, was. He was like a, a trope. It was. He had like a hot pocket. He's like smoking. He's like, we got to do this. We got to do that. But I was like, this is the movie thing. This is the Hacker 9000, right? Yeah. Well, and George is one of the best yeah. at what he does. And Which is why you're going to email him back. You're going to email him back. You're going to say, hey, George, author of one of your favorite books. Very happy you gave me a shout yeah, out yeah, on yeah, Lex yeah. Friedman. Okay. I'm friends but, but with this dope noticed, guy named uh, Tommy who has a podcast, George, and you should come on there. He's an up-and-coming coder. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I noticed when taking birdwatching tours with my wife was uh, that some of the people giving these tours were extremely knowledgeable and they could just like glance, they see a shadow flit by and go, oh, this is a so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, similar probably to your experience watching George Write Software was my experience being with these birders uh, that were at the top of their game and just seeing someone who is at their top of their game doing their thing is impressive. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's, it's, it's very it's, pleasurable. It's magic. Yeah, uh, and, and so it, and I'm not at all, you know. Or so I, it's like when I was taking the these tours, it was just well, I would I'm out in nature and <coughs> visiting different, you know, foreign countries and different areas and stuff, and you know, being but but it's like act, the actual birds. It's like it's not that I had no interest in them. I have no aptitude. I just like okay, you know, someone's memorized the whole goddamn field guide. And they can tell, okay, well, these are the field marks, and so this is what it was. Uh, there was this one guy uh, that we took a few tours with who could pick a feather up off the ground and go, oh, yeah, this is Daniel Tail Feather from a Bloody Bye. It's like, and, and even our normal tour guide would go, it's like, how do you know that? And, but this is a guy who actually drew illustrations for the Smithsonian. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, and, and you watch someone like that practice their craft you know just you know doing this like uh oh yeah that's you know and 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 it's just it it, it is it's it's calming it's like uh calming you no, know that's just, perfect just wow no that's the perfect that's the perfect it's calming when you watch someone who is who has mastered their craft and they're just yeah they slip into like, a flow state and you just watch it. i don't need i don't i don't need to mess with this shit he's got it yeah right it's um <laughs> I love watching, there's this one channel on YouTube, and it's just this guy, just some retired dude in Australia, but all he does is he just melts down different things he finds in scrapyards, and just makes his own, like, coins and bars, and it's not like gold or anything, it's like copper, aluminum, yeah. just whatever, but he just finds stuff, and he'll do just, like, time-lapse videos like fast forward is he'll find like a an old radiator or something you'll see him go in and he'll rip or like an old solenoid and he'll go in and he'll rip everything out get all the copper and then you see like how he cleans it how he melts it how he does everything and he's just got this whole you can tell every little thing he has his own techniques he's got all his own tools you know everything's labeled there's like 
you know, it's just like tape and written with Sharpie. It's it's all very like his own. It's not like a system. It's his own system, but it's not like a, you know, professionally done thing. It's just his, his own. He's got, oh, you get this out. You get the, you know, get the brush here. And you got to tap it with that. And always use this to clean this up. And that's you're going to move the block here. And you're like, what is he doing? But then you watch him. And he's just and he's just making these things. And then it's like that guy just melted down a ladder into like a into like a like a cuboidal thing and stamped it and you're like and the way he like buffs it and cleans it and he saves all the dust too he saves like chunks Mm -hmm. like he has like different names for him it's like chunks i don't know it's like chips and then it's like dust and he like saves it all he saves every little he's got these jars and then after like a year of stuff he'll take the like the dust i think it's no it's, it's like chunks chips it's like sand and then it's like dust and he'll take them, and at the end of the year, he'll like boil it all in and make one coin of all the leftover. He's like, "That's why you don't throw it away." And it's just like a cool copper coin. And he'll put his YouTube logo on it and just mail it to like people that comment. But he does this whole thing, and yeah, it's calming. You watch him, and it's just you don't know what the fuck it is. You don't know why he's doing it. I have no interest to ever melt stuff down and make ingots. I just don't care. But when I watch him. I'll watch it for three hours and be like, what am I doing? But I can't stop. Like, it's just, yeah, it's calming. That's what it is. It's calming. The Bozius? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. There's like another channel, this this video I used to watch in like 2015, 2016, probably at like the pit of my depression. But I used to watch it because it would like calm me down when I'd get anxiety attacks. But it's this dude who just made made blades he lived out in like the woods like some snowy it looked like a fairy tale he lived out in the woods in the middle of nowhere like nova scotia and he had a he had like a fat cat and this dude had like a one bedroom little like like hut just just, just one room made out of logs in the middle of so this is like ted kaczynski two point <laughs> yeah yeah but not like a psychopath it was like it was more like dick prenicky but he would go out there and you'd see him and he'd make he would make blades i mean all the way down to how he'd mark the leather and he'd cut it and polish it and sew it and then he'd finish it and it would just be a knife and it's like yeah you could go buy it at home depot but watching this dude just make it from scratch and you're like yeah yeah. i've always been fascinated with that too because there 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 is a guy uh in france who makes vacuum tubes oh yeah from scratch that's and there's about an hour long video that uh, he published and it's, it's in French with subtitles, um, and uh, you know it, it was like he 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 basically starts it going. It's like the people who were doing this were not magicians. This this is a thing that mere mortals should be able to do, mm-hmm. and so he recreated the entire uh, technology to make the Type R hard vacuum tubes similar to what uh, were produced for World War One. And then there's people who are taking them and making radios out of them and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's weird because we we're so used to buying assemblies. It's like now you buy an integrated circuit. I remember when that was the new thing. Uh, you know, it was going from transistors uh, to integrated circuits, and so you would buy this little black blob of plastic that has a chip inside it and the pins have different functions and all and you buy another totally different one they look exactly the same except for the number printed on them and you just got 
used to this being the basis of your art that that you know uh when i was in college that was how you would design a digital circuit is you would start with 7400 series logic chips they're not as complex as microprocessors but they're uh each of you know each chip would have uh, a dozen to a couple of hundred transistors in in it to to do a complex function and in 1982 that was the base functionality that was like you 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 weren't using discrete transistors now it was only 10 years before that that most computers were were being made with discrete transistors it's like if you were designing a computer you would start with actual transistors that have three legs and and so you've got to provide for the bias and support shit for all for all of them and then uh and of course in the 70s and uh starting especially in the 80s you got to be where you you wouldn't design a central processing unit yourself that would be a waste of time because you can buy one in a chip Mm -hmm. that big okay uh and you lose contact with the ground as it were you know when when you're looking when you're working with a transistor that's pretty close to sand you know and and it's like you can kind of see the gap there uh that somebody mined raw materials refined them did processes on them in order to create this thing but after a while you're standing on top of a 30-story building and it's like where's the ground yeah uh you you don't see a connection with the things you're using and the earth anymore Uh, it's it's kind of back to what you said about george hotz right you got to understand the base yeah and 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 he is one of the best at that i mean he's his big fame uh was that he was the guy who hacked the playstation one Oh really? And Sony and Sony sued him into the ground for his trouble. <laughs> um, and uh, and then Sony the got way, hacked by North Korea. Yeah, a few years later. But the way he did it was, the, you know, he he identified a data channel between two of the chips that uh, there is a a point at which the bootloader had to be unencrypted and sent to the central processing unit and George managed to tap that data stream and reconstruct the unencrypted bootloader so that he could then fake out the rest of the system and pretend to be the bootloader himself. Um, and that was, uh, you know, there, there, there's little things like that all over in the, in computers that, the people who designed them just think, well, no one's ever going to go to all the trouble to do this. And along comes someone like George, just like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. How does this work? And and he wasn't even doing it to make a buck. That that's the thing about people like George. He, he was doing it to prove it could be done and to educate people, including Sony, as to the mistake that they had made, thinking this was secure, uh, and just to uh, gain a capability for his own personal, uh, you know, expression, you know, so that that he could do stuff with this machine. Mm -hmm. And the 
there's a tension in the hacking community between people like George and the the people who are really out to make a buck. They've sold out their, you know, they're they're looking to steal your money, your credentials, whatever they can use to to make a buck. And they use the same skills. But generally it's the people like George who are better at it. Mm-hmm. And they come up with the techniques and then the bad guys come along and go, ooh, here's an opportunity to make a buck. Yeah. Um and uh it means you know what that what happens is it means that everybody who is curious in that way gets the you know the tar brush as it were you know it's um it's it's suspicious to have certain skills at all Mm -hmm. and uh and that's bad that's that's a horrible situation because we need people with all the skills that uh that we can get because we're in for a horrible century coming up i think you know there's there's a lot of bad shit that's getting ready to come down and we need everyone we can get who is capable of rising to the challenge and uh showing us new new modalities and and how to do things that we didn't know how to do before because we're going to need a lot of that and we're coming out and saying science is bad uh vaccines poison you that you know uh a, a lot of the this this shit and uh you know the earth is flat <laughs> no that's so funny except that you know uh if the earth was flat the sun would have risen at the same time for both of us and it didn't because the earth is a sphere <laughs> i think the earth is flat is a psyop by the cia just to see what they can convince people of kind of draw the parameters can we get someone to you know how dumb are to they? believe something this stupid yes they, they took the earth is flat all right so they're going to push the floor a little lower they want to find a spot maybe the earth is flat is it right maybe there's ten thousand people that believe it but they're like our minimum threshold was a hundred thousand so they've they've identified the floor they've scanned yeah. the room it's the robot it's the roomba scanning the room and they went okay earth is flat and it's minimum cognition so there it is <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the uh, the friend of ours who did the card counting team and ended up making $2 million and all that. Uh, I remember when he and my wife visited, uh, I think it was Connecticut. Was, was, where they put that, the, the, the first big casino in, in the Northeast? Foxwoods? Uh, Foxwoods, yeah. And, uh, of course, we all grew up in on the 30th latitude, you know, and it went up there and he was freaking out. It was the summer and the sun woke, you know, the sun rose at 5 a.m. and it didn't set till 1030 and he was just freaking out. It's like, why is the day so long? And it's like, and my wife was trying to explain him. It's because the earth is a sphere and it's, no. you know, and it's summer. No. No. <laughs> And we're further north. It's like you go far enough north at six months of day and six months of night. You know, it's a sphere. It's tilted and it does this shit. Then you go to Panama and the day is 12 hours long all year long. They don't have seasons. It's just like December and July look exactly the same. 
I guess the thing I always think about is like, I'm like, what is the conspiracy for them not telling us the world is flat? Everything else, there's a purpose. Why did they kill JFK? Well, you went and made a you went and made a fucking killing with defense contracts for 10 years in Vietnam. You were able to posture against the Soviets. You can kind of, you know, why would 9-11 be a conspiracy? Go occupy Iraq, get trillions of dollars of oil. If they're evil and they're out there, but you can you can go, okay, I can see the motive. Yeah. What's the what's the end but, game? But, what's the end yeah. game? It's yeah, you're you're right. I you, mean, it's it, the only thing that makes sense is it's a it's a the CIA is testing the waters. They're going what's there's, uh, yeah. There's no motive there. That that's there's nothing to gain unless so, it's just the best troll ever. Which it could be. It could be. It might be some George Hodge. I, I mean, yeah. You know, because when I was publishing all this stuff back when I was really active writing, you know, the this was a big target also for trolls, and 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 I actually had civil conversations with people who who considered themselves artists at the skill of trolling. They they thought the, the ability to wind people up and get get under their skin and all was was a worthwhile hobby. Mm-hmm. That was like. You know, it's another art form like painting or singing or something, and trolling was just another thing that. Out and uh, and of course, I ended up being a target of a lot of them because uh, they thought that on, particularly on corrosion, which is where I you know, I first published most of the stuff that uh, we've discussed. They you know they thought anybody who had a uh, a louder voice than they did was a target. Because do you really deserve all this attention that you're getting? And so, uh, you know, they, they would come after me and, uh, you know, just, you know, there was there was one who spent almost a year uh, posting fake posts with lookalike usernames because uh, you could you could create an account with any name. So they would be local Roger, except the first L was a capital I mm-hmm. instead of a lowercase L. Yeah. And, and things like that and uh, just to create trouble and to them it was like the more trouble they could create the more successful they were and it's like this is, you know, validated their worldview and everything so yeah I mean the, the thing with the flat earthers has that kind of smell about it hmm. uh, to a certain extent um, because otherwise it's like how are you, you know, who's, who's benefiting from this yeah there's no now? Unless it's unless it's a psychological experiment. Yeah, well, that's you know, uh, Occam's razor says yeah. to me it's just some assholes having fun. Or it's like what Elon. <laughs> I like Elon Musk's like theorem: the most entertaining outcome is the most probable, or the most entertaining explanation is the most probable. I hadn't heard that before. That's good. I like that one, right? Because yeah. that, that kind of plays in Occam. It's it's kind of a take on Occam's, right? It's for something like yeah. this. Is it a CIA? Yeah, except thing instead of the simple, instead of the simplest being the most likely, it's the most entertaining. That's and, the most and so, likely. what is more likely? The CIA spent a bunch of money trying to create this. Okay, but even if they did do it, let's say that makes sense. They want to find out how much will people buy into. But even that, how actionable is that? Who postulated this? Are they really going to spend their budget on it? Or is it just some guy like I got an idea, you know? Hey, I can wind these people just up. Just a couple and... of guys drinking on a Friday. Like I bet we can convince yeah. a th- large swath of the population that the Earth is flat, mm-hmm. right? I mean, David Ike makes millions talking about the reptilians from the fifth dimension. 
It's, I mean, that itself. I, I don't know what's crazier: the idea that there are reptilians from the star system Draco that are controlling our elites through shapeshifts and through possession from the fifth dimension, or that he was able to preach all of that and then take in real world money more than the most highest paid brain surgeons make. That's the yeah. real. That's the real fucking conspiracies, man. <laughs> he yeah. he took something that was horseshit and sucked out money into the real world that was very tangible. The rubber hit the road. He took this money and was able to buy a house and a Cadillac healthcare plan and and you know, travel all over the world. It's like that's he. That's alchemy. That's alchemy. Yeah. Well, look at L. Ron Hubbard. Yes. And Scientology. This is literally a guy who was a science fiction writer who realized it would be more profitable to start a religion than to keep writing science fiction. Yeah, he was just beholden to the shareholders. Pop out another He was the yeah. Yeah. He he actually was the shareholder. I mean, no, he uh, was uh, the the tin Jesus at the middle of this little thing, and just grew it into this massive enterprise. And uh, to this day, there aren't actually any shareholders. Scientology is, a, you know, it, it has all the trappings of a religion. There's no shareholders in the Catholic Church. Mm. Um, but if you look at it, it's fucking ridiculous. You know, you, you, you would ask yourself, who in their right mind would believe in any of this shit? Um, there's a website, I think it's called clambake.com. And uh, they're they're an anti Scientology site, and they basically do uh, a rundown of all the news, other anything anti Scientology. And the reason they call themselves Clambake is that there's this riff that Elrond does in Dianetics about clams and how the the tension is because it's a bivalve and it's you know some bullshit thing about the tension between opening and closing and he draws this out at like three or four pages length and if you look at it without the right prepping then it just looks like the stupidest thing you've ever read Um, but it's actually one of their foundational axioms it was it's like it's you know uh, and that's before you even get to Xenu and the DC nine and, and uh, all this shit that, you know, uh, it, it, but, but he, he made this work. And to this day, I mean, Elron is dead, but Scientology lives on. And, uh, as ridiculous as it is, as, as much trouble as it's gotten itself into by not playing nice with the rest of society, as, as many, uh, enemies is it's created and fomented and fought and all it's it's still there and uh they've they've got you know uh famous uh hollywood actors and actresses and all all kinds of people you know it's just and and part of it too is is the way that scientology is structured is that the deeper you get into it the more ridiculous it gets mm-hmm. So, you know, when you walk into the storefront because you have a drug problem and they're advertising help with that and they start with the e-meter and the, the, the lower level shit and, and, you know, and some of this stuff psychologically actually does work, you know, it, it, it 
does have therapeutic benefit, but that's, you know, the, the same as just talking to a good friend might. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the deeper you get into it, the more ridiculous it gets. The deeper you get into their special lingo where there's all of these words that don't mean what they don't mean in normal English and uh, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars are incurring that in debt to get the treatments and the the, uh, the uh, tests and all the all the little things and everything in Scientology costs money mm-hmm. because all right and then and then eventually you you reach the point where they tell you about Xenu and all, all of the, the higher level shit, which by that time you are so deeply invested in it that the ridiculousness is, you know, it, 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 it's, do you deny, do you realize how stupid this is and walk away from it? Uh, I read an article years ago that said that Tom Cruise nearly walked away from Scientology when they told him about Xenu and the the whole thing with the DC-9s and the volcanoes and shit. And uh, they had a little delicate conversation with one of his other Scientology friends who, you know, and they did a pickup basketball game and he said, look, man, you just have to ride with it. And, you know, but, but you know, that that's the, the the big lie theory writ large is is that once you are wrapped up enough in something then they can pretty much sell you anything no matter you know because the the investment that you've made in it is more important than the fact that every cell in your body is telling you this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard yeah, it's it's easier to right. It's easier to fool man than to convince man he's been fooled. It's a lot. Yes. It's a lot easier to just say fuck it. We're riding this thing over the edge, right? I would rather uh-huh. face. I would rather drive this car off a cliff rather than admit that there isn't a bridge up ahead. Yeah, and uh, I, I find that amazing myself. It's just, but. Uh, there's the world we live in. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Roger, we're going to have to uh, postpone the reading till next week. I'm exhausted okay. from this daylight fascism. Daylight savings time. Daylight yes. fascism. Fuck, fuck daylight savings time. Dude, I've been fucking just so out of it. I talked to Dale this morning. I was talking, and right when you and I started, I was just thinking, I was like, how am I this tired? Like, how the fuck am I this tired? And I'm happy you said that because now I feel less crazy. I'm like, I thought I got... Yeah, you're not imagining things. You lost an hour. That's some bullshit. There's, I mean, there's no... Per- it is. There's no... There's tr- right, daylight saving time was like for farmers, right? It had some effect on farming, right? I've, I've seen some speculation. Argument, yeah. Of course, Benjamin Franklin was uh, one of the early proponents but i've seen some speculation that he was basically trolling that he thought it was you know Fuck. uh yeah benjamin franklin was trolling everybody going here's a good idea knowing that it was stupid and maybe then, maybe it was a litmus yeah. test maybe it's kind of like they took it and ran with it and he was like all right this is maybe that was his flat earth they took it and ran with it, and he was like, okay, this this civilization is only capable of so much thought, which means I need to go right up to that threshold and then take one step back. Because if I go over that, 
I'm going to be burned at the stake. Stay below yeah. it, and I'll just be a wise man. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Remember, Ben is also the guy who wrote in praise of older women and a number of other rather transgressive essays. Ben was a playboy, man. <laughs> yes. Dude fucked around. Dude fucked around. Was an intellect. Ben. Yeah, he was the. Yeah. He was the original white men who go their own way. Ben Franklin was the original. Just like I'm a fuck around, spread my seed. I don't know. Maybe set up a new nation. You know, explore the explore explore the natural world. Just flew his kite and the lightning storm and all that stuff. But you know, it, he he was a Renaissance man in the purest uh, expression of that. And part of that is these moral norms that we are expected to live by. Uh, are maybe not as absolute as certain people are uh, trying to lead us to believe. Uh, I am firmly convinced that he and at least a few other of the American founders uh, had to be aware of the Marquis de Sade and his writings in France, because mm -hmm. France was our biggest ally at the time, mm -hmm. and we had people going over there all the time. And uh, in the late 18th century, it was pretty much impossible to be in uh, the learned circles in Paris and not know about the Marquis de Sade. Mm -hmm. He was infamous. And, you know, it would be like not knowing who Charles Manson is yeah. in our society. It was yeah. simply not, you know, it was not a thing you could be ignorant of if you were uh, in those circles. And I think that that meant that when the founders wrote the First Amendment, they meant exactly what it said. Because they did know that this was not going to be a surprise to them when someone like Larry Flint pops up. No, they understood that that sort of thing was going to happen, but they meant exactly what they wrote. Mm -hmm. And they, they knew that, yes, there are going to be transgressive and obscene things that are going to be challenging and uh in in my turn i think i wrote one of them <laughs> you did but it's kind of like you said earlier about hackers right here's a guy that creates a tool and then the wrong party goes hey look at this tool the people yeah. that you know people are always like you know censorship isn't going to lead to this and it's like no like i'll go out on a limb and i'll say sure the people that maybe want to censor you know, Eminem in my childhood, Eminem or Jackass. Yeah, they're mostly just, you know, white suburban moms that want to keep it from their kids' eyes. I get it, and it's done in good intentions, but the people who are going to align with you and go, yeah, that's good, those are the people that are going, ooh, if we can just keep moving the window, you move 50 years, and all of a sudden you're not allowed to speak out against the, the party in power, and that's how 100 million people end up in shallow graves. And... Yes, it's. I don't doubt that people have mostly good intentions. We need to ban that. We need to ban that. It's not those people I'm worried about. It's the people who take advantage of that. Those useful people who then. So that's how you step. No. So you got to be able to. You got to be able to have Alex Jones talking about the frogs turning. Unless, of course, you're sending people to people's houses. But we have laws for that that don't need to be exempt yeah. for it. It's there are laws that exist for that. But you got to be able to. Oh, say and that brings us to one of one of the things I did want to mention uh, to talk with you about too is like you getting sent to YouTube jail, uh, and the power that these platforms have 
uh, and the fact that they're starting to censor things mm -hmm. like this. And I'm of a very mixed mind about that. Uh, personally, I feel that in the ecosystem of the early 2000s, uh, the early aughts, when you had uh, different sites, different discussion sites with different topics, and you would create an account at Democratic Underground or Daily Coast, you were you were told up front, this is a left-wing site, mm -hmm. this is yeah. you know, yeah, support yeah, yeah, Democrats. Yeah. Okay, you would join Free Republic, which I never have because I know that I would last about five posts before they would ban me. But mm -hmm. because when you join them, they tell you, we are a right-wing website, yeah. we support Republicans. Okay. Uh, and there were many other things. It's like you might have a site that would, so, you know, be about knitting or, you yeah, know, yeah, about yeah. Uh, parallaxes, microprocessor products or whatever. And on those sites, you know what you're getting into. Okay. So, yeah, I wouldn't complain if I went on Free Republic and posted something nice about President Biden and got shit canned for it because yeah. I know that's the site that I'm on. You know what you're going uh, into. Yeah. Yeah. If you go on Democratic Underground and talk shit about them, they have a whole process. They explain it to you. There's a thing when you make your account. This is the rules. But when you're Facebook or Twitter, okay, they don't have an upfront statement of their biases because they don't care that what they want is your eyeballs, whether you're left wing or right wing or religious yeah. or an atheist, they want your eyeballs so they can put ads in front of you and charge people for that and make money. And so they play their cards really close to the chest. And they're like, well, you know, we we're an open platform. and all. But then, you know, the thing is, if you go on Democratic Underground or Free Republic and start spouting absolute shit. As long as it's in line with the site, they're gonna they're they're, they're, they're gonna kind of let you go. It's mm -hmm. like okay, you know, uh, and if it's the other guy's shit, then they're gonna shit can you. But if you go on Facebook or Twitter or Google, aka YouTube, whatever subsidiary, and you start spouting increasingly crazy shit, at some point they've got to draw a line. And you as a user don't know where it is because the, the thing about uh, all of these entities is that in order to keep you participating, so they have your eyeballs and can put ads in front of you, they're going to show you shit that they think you want to see. Mm -hmm. So if you favor right-wing political things, uh, you know, pro-gun, anti-abortion, whatever, they're going to show you yeah, other right. content and ads that are in that direction. If you go in and you start clicking on stuff that's more left-wing, then they're going to feed that back to you. So you're going to see a totally different experience depending on what they've seen of you. They, it, this is what people talk about is the bubble mm -hmm. of, uh, okay. But then what happens is you get, all right, President Trump getting increasingly wacky on Twitter. And to a certain extent, they just say, well, he's the president of the United States. He's a sitting you know, yeah. head of state. So we have to kind of let him do what he wants to do. But then at some point, they've got to face the fact that uh, some of this is outright lies. 
and it's factually, you know, it's like we, we can't because you're putting, you know, as Facebook or Twitter or Google, you're putting your cachet behind yeah, yeah, that. Sure, you're putting your name. If I bring someone on this podcast who's getting crazier and crazier, well, all of a sudden it's like, man, how it re- my close, my, my long, my faithful listeners are going to go, this guy doesn't represent Tommy. This is just a guest he's having on. But the people at large are going to go, who the fuck is this guy? And who's this Tommy guy that gives him a platform? Sure. Right. I, and, I get and, that. I'll take the devil's advocate argument. I get it. So, you know, and, and so the the problem there is that when you reach the break, it's, it's, it's a problem that I kind of have myself is that I let people kind of abuse me to a certain extent until I finally get tired of it. And then they're like, what, what, what's up? You just cut me off. What's the, what's the deal? It's like, look, man, I just got mm-hmm. fucking tired of your shit. <laughs> so, yeah. so you've been putting up with it for the last five years. Uh, and uh, I think you've got a lot of people who, on these big platforms, the big platform is like, and, and then they finally like, look, look, we can't do this anymore. And they're, and they're all butthurt. It's like, you've been letting me do this for the last five years. What, what, what's up now? It's like, well, what's up now is the whole world is watching and we kind of have to, you know, but, but you haven't been seeing this because they've been feeding you the stuff that aligns with what you believe in and all. And so it comes as a big surprise when they finally have enough and it's like, what the hell? Why are you canceling me now? And it's like, well, because you haven't been making sense for the last three years. And it's like, but, yeah, but you've been letting me do it for the last three years. So, yeah. uh, to, to, if, whereas if you had the, the, the smaller sites that are more upfront about their own biases and just sort of, uh, you know, did, did their own thing to, to, to me there, you, you have no reason to, to censor things that are outrageous because you know where you are. If you're on Free Republic, if you're on Democratic Underground, uh, if you were on Corrosion, you know uh, what those sites will and won't put up with. And there there are parameters. And if you don't like those parameters, you go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But if you don't like the parameter on Facebook, uh, there is nowhere else to go. Yeah. Facebook is Facebook. They're the whole fucking ecosystem now. And so uh, they kind of have to draw a line at some point, which is probably not where some sites would have if they were smaller and probably beyond where others would have if they were smaller. But because it's Facebook, because it's Twitter, because it's Google, then everyone is surprised and butthurt when this giant entity says well we're going to deplatform mm-hmm. this this person because they're 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 being dangerous and then everyone is like all first amendment and shit and it's like well um it it does get tricky though when you're in a pandemic and they now you could make the argument that they are acting as a whether they wanted to or not it, fate seems to have handed it to where they are the public square. They are yeah. when you no one can go meet. They are you have to take that argument. And I, I to me, my worry comes from is again, sure they want to. That's fine. It's their company. They do whatever they want. I don't support it, and I'll continue to bitch about it. But it's whatever. Um, one, the credibility of the episode that I had banned, 370, was with a woman who worked in the CIA for 20 years in the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump administrations. I tend to think that what she states is 
well-founded, been on CNN, been on Fox. But the other thing is, is I can't help but think, can you imagine maybe like a Ron Paul tweet if Twitter existed in 2003 saying they're fomenting, they're fomenting, they're, they're banging the war drums. They want to go to Iraq for oil and defense contracts. There is no proof of WMDs. And then imagine the banner saying this has been disputed. This is, and it's like, <laughs> and we now know that at 1.5 million civilians and 5,000 American servicemen died over there. And it's like, hmm. I mean, imagine a tweet in 1968 saying the Gulf of Tonkin, hey, this might have been a fomented thing, right? I mean, imagine, mm-hmm. imagine, um, you know, imagine doctors saying, hey, I only smoke Lucky Strikes. They're perfectly healthy. And imagine someone saying, well, actually, <laughs> some new independent research from this, this, uh, you know, this unpolitical lab has saying that there might actually be carcinogens in there. And they're going, trust the science. And it's like... Well, we kind of get into this weird yeah. thing where, like, physicians did take money. Harvard uh, Harvard Medical School did take money in the 80s to write papers saying that large amounts of sugar and simple carbohydrates did not cause diabetes because that helped with the existing pyramid and it helped big companies like General Mills mm-hmm. sell cereal. So we do have this weird – I mean, you could go back to – like Imagine who watches the watchers. Well, exactly. So you get back to this point of like, you know, now we all, we know global warming is a thing. But imagine going back 50 years and someone saying, hey, you know what? I think there's this global warming thing. And they're saying, what? Buy Rockefeller oil. So it is an easy <laughs> shield to hide behind. Trust the science, you stupid Trump tard. It's an easy shield to hide behind. It's a lot like hiding behind the national security shield. But time and time again, it's not that the science isn't true. Science is true. I have a, I have a biology degree. I got into medical and pharmacy school and published research that's hosted on the National Institutes of Health. I am trusting the science, but there are malicious there are malicious forces that hide behind that that blanket justification of trust the science. Because when you have a doctor, when you have a nice white square jawed doctor in a white coat saying smoke lucky strikes. Okay, when you got a hot woman smoking and drinking a martini and saying, my baby's fine, and everyone goes, okay. And if you question that and say, well, maybe that has developmental problems on the nervous system of the baby, and someone goes, trust the science, you moron. Eh, You know, it's when all the car companies were lobbying against the implementation of seatbelts and airbags. What if you came out and said, hey, you know, I think airbags and seatbelts might greatly reduce fatalities, and someone says, Trust the science, dude. Well, it's well. Who's hiding behind the science? That's where the trust the science yeah. questioning comes in. And if you question it, doesn't matter. People say, trust the science, dude. Copernicus was an enemy of the state. All right, he wasn't trusting the science. So it's not that I have any question about the science. It's that there are people who hide behind that argument. Right? I guarantee you, yes. Exxon Mobil is the number one pusher behind these astroturf movements to there's no global warming. So yes, trust the science, but at the same time, it's like so the history well, who of science. Who science do you trust? The entire world, the entire history of science is it's trusted until the model is shattered and then you create a new one, yeah. right? No well, such thing as germ is, theory. The world is flat. Those yeah. used to be uh, the science. Yeah, well, the, I mean, science, science itself is not about what you know. It's about what you test. It's and about what's reproducible what in a lab. Theorize so there's no such yeah. thing as a fact. There are just stronger and stronger theories. Right. So, yeah, it's whose science do you trust? Exactly. The, now, the science that says the Earth is a sphere is a little bit a better stronger. than the science that says it's flat. A little uh, stronger, yeah. 
And yeah. and to play but, devil's advocate, on the flip side, you also can't use the argument I just made for everything when it's like, exactly, right? So when they tell me, don't smoke cigarettes when you're pregnant, and I'm like, trust the science. And it's like, well, no, the science is now shown, that, but yes, trust the science, but also verify, sure, if you can prove me wrong, then go ahead. But to me, it's the... It's the blanket trust the science. To me, it's no different than like World War One. You putting the feather in the hats of the soldiers who wouldn't go to war, or the military age males who wouldn't go to war, and you embarrass them. You what? You don't want to go defend the homeland? No women will fuck you. See, the hot women used to put white feathers in the like the hair or the hats of guys who didn't go into the draft and go fight on the Western Front. And everyone's oh, you're not a patriot. Mm-hmm. But we now look back at World War One as the most pointless slaughter of all time. So it's. I'm very hesitant when everyone hides behind one big trust. You know, it's no different than a politician saying, but it's for the children. You know, are you against the Patriot Mm -hmm. Act? What are you, Roger? Are you not a patriot? Yeah. It's the global war on terror. I'm not against patriots. I'm against the dots in between the letters. Are are you? Well, that sounds like something a fascist (laughs) would say. Are you against are you against the USA Patriot Act? Uh-huh. Are you against the mm-hmm. global war on terror? What kind of who are you, Roger? Yeah. It's I mean, you know, if, if we if we don't serve uh serve these uh no-knock warrants, how are we going to catch the bad guys? Are are you against and, the Manhattan Project? What, you don't like New York? What are you, a communist? Yeah. That's that's where my worry comes in because yeah. You have the vast majority of people that say trust the science are saying it with good intentions and good faith, but there are some fucking foxes hiding them or the wolf hiding amongst those people who are going exactly trust the science, trust the science. Saddam has WMDs. And, Next and, thing you know, and you also have people who have been trying to to ride the middle while it's been really apparent that the foxes and wolves are congregating on one side of the track or another, and they've ridden the middle for so long they finally realize they've got to do something hmm. and everyone is all butthurt because what's well, like why 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 are you uh shooting these guys it's like because they're about to board the train and kill us all exactly or, you know whatever you know it's like well it's like they've been following us for the last 50 miles it's like, yeah, but we didn't think it was that big of a deal until it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And, you know, and, then, and, yeah. and so then you end up at this point where you, you, know, you, you have to admit that it's not a completely free platform anymore. No, it's not at all. And, it's, it's, and the problem is even at that point, then it's still uh, like – a sticky situation is like well exactly where is the line yeah right it's and they and, and they're not going to tell you because they 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 don't want you to go well fuck that line well, fuck i'm that. taking my eyeballs somewhere else and you can't show me ads anymore then so they they don't want you to do that so they're going to be as cagey about it as they can but you know and so it's going to be you know coming out of nowhere yeah. when they 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 uh they finally take action i mean i'm sure that donald trump is still uh seriously ticked at twitter and sure. can't figure out why they you know well and and it, of course from the outside it's a simple calculation to see dude wasn't president anymore and there was a 
yeah, an attack on the Capitol. And, yeah. you know, it's like a bunch of shit added up to where it's like, we can't encourage this anymore. But yeah. they, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if Trump was tweeting today, he wouldn't be tweeting anything different than he was on January 5th. But they, you know, there was a bit of a shift there. And that looks unfair. Yeah. from a certain perspective sure and, and i can see that sure um i mean and it, and it's i definitely get it because it's yeah it's like how come i can't you know if you go on now and you make a tweet about kids in cages there will now be a banner under it that says under the biden administration these are detainment facilities they're not cages <laughs> they are the same physical place they're the same coordinates the same assembly of atoms that form the same chain link fence yeah but now they're detainment facilities right it's you know i saw a, perhaps the meme that i think is i voted for obama and then i voted for romney and then i voted for bernie and then i voted for trump and i think i finally had my mind ripped down the center because i saw one meme that really did it and only a way that a meme can cut to the core right not a lecture only the way a shitty jpeg meme can truly hit the base is it said there's top left it was a uh, uh, bush administration obama administration trump administration biden administration and it's the same side angle of a b-52 carpet bombing somewhere in the middle east and in the bush administration it's the b-52 but it says never forget on the side and the Obama administration, it says hope and change. And the Trump administration, it says America first, make America great again. And on the Biden administration, it says build back better. It's the same fucking lumbering machine dropping bombs on brown people. And I think I finally had my mind shattered. It doesn't matter. Trump gets in office, two weeks in office, Trump sends a salvo of like 46 cruise missiles after the gas attack. Biden's in mm -hmm. office, bombs Syria. And I'm starting to think Guantanamo is still open. I voted for Obama thinking it was going to be closed. Yeah, funny how that worked, didn't funny it? Funny, right? And then, you know, Obama, you know, Obama has kids in cages and I'm kids in and Trump comes in office and I'm like, they're detainment facilities. Biden gets in office and I'm like, they're kids in cages. But then the mirror happens on the other side. All the while, there are increasing drone strikes to the Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden administration. And I'm finally at a point where I realized... Hey, you know, it's Dr. Strangelove. It's how I learned to how I learned to stop how I learned to love the bomb. I've fuck it, all hell the military industrial complex. Mine like I'm gonna stop pretending that the demon that's made up of Raytheon and Boeing and General Atomics, I'm, I'm gonna stop pretending that the puppet on its left hand is any better or worse than the puppet on the right hand. And I know that sounds like such an edgy yeah. I'm thirteen and this is deep. <laughs> You know what? We've had black sites around the world. We've been spending hundreds of billions of dollars bombing brown people in a submission. You know what? I don't think it matters who's in there. Yeah. Well, you know, it. Uh, Dr. Strangelove was not originally going to be a comedy. Yeah, I don't think it was supposed to be. I thought it was supposed to be. No, it wasn't. But Stanley Kubrick personally interviewed a whole bunch of people throughout the military industrial complex. And the more they talked to these people, the more absurd yeah, realized how everything became. And the, uh, the movie is actually a compilation of things that people who were in power actually said mm -hmm. 
to Stanley Kubrick or his uh, his interviewers who were who were getting background material for what was originally supposed to be a serious movie about the dangers, uh, you know, the the way nuclear war might unfold, and they they were about halfway into the project when Kubrick was like this is absurd this there's no way to play this except as a comedy because it's all so stupid and that's where it you know it it, it, it ended up being the way that it was uh so yeah it, it's people will uh the 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 they will accept these absur- absurdities you know you had this uh this thing uh in the 60s and 70s where uh the generals and the joint chiefs and all would get together and it was like they had to make a show of bravado of each you know declaring their willingness to bomb the fuck out of the enemy yeah. you know harder yeah. than the one before yeah. to show that they weren't weak and that they, they weren't were. like you know and uh what a girl. And it reached it reached completely stupid proportions. You know the uh, you had the, the the point where Ed Teller at one point was uh, you know before they actually figured out how to make the hydrogen bombs the we have now bomb. was you know doing the, the we're going to tow it on a barge <laughs> and it'll have a blast radius of a hundred kilometers. <laughs> Ed, Ed Teller also and just pro- take everything out. Ed Teller also proposed a backyard bomb, which was ten gigatons, ten thousand megatons. All right, mm-hmm. ten, I think that was the one. The backyard yeah. bomb, named as such, because you could just launch, you could just detonate it in your backyard, and it would kill everyone on the other side of the world. Salt it with cobalt and thorium. But yeah. the funniest thing is, is he proposed this to Air Force Strategic Air Command. And they actually followed up on it, and they started drawing some of like course. loose blueprints. And finally, someone was like, "You can't actually do this." And they were like, "Oh, huh, of course we're not." But they, they took it. They, mm-hmm. they had two names for it. They wanted to make two, and they were going to put them on either side of the world, and that would just be. But they, yeah, and, and that was actually the doomsday device from from uh, Doctor Strangelove, yeah, Doctor Strangelove, yeah. But the thing so... is, the the thing, is, and I got to go in a second. I really got to pee, but. The names of these things, I forget their, I forget their fucking names. I can look them up. It's in, from Annie Jacobson's book, uh, DARPA, the Pentagon's Brain. But they were named after the names of the bombs, right? Because they all have names: Zarbomba, Little Boy, Fat Man, whatever. Yeah. The the names of these things were the names of the two types of sundials from like ancient Sumeria. They're like the oldest tools ever, but they were named as such. Because they would be suns and everything would cast a shadow. <laughs> just if that's not, so poetic when we're just, murdering if, everybody. If that's just not some biblical <laughs> shit. It, I forget what the names. It was like there's these. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember them, but it's like I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, they were named yeah, as such about- because everything would cast a shadow. <laughs> It's dark. Roger, let's... And that's all that would be left would be the shadow. <laughs> exactly. Roger, let's wrap this bitch up. We'll we'll do... We'll get back to our regular, regularly scheduled programming on Saturdays. We've had a couple odd weeks entirely on my fault, but um, but uh, we'll get back to our regular scheduled programming. Yeah. Good things yesterday. We'll go into it here. But it's good. It's good. Good shit's happening. I should be... I might be moving out in like, in like two weeks. It might be... It might be fast track, so I'm very excited. Hey. If I get you your Bitcoin, Bed Bath and Beyond uh, has gift cards on eGifter. Ooh, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to wait till it goes to sixty million. 
<laughs> and then, and everyone, don't forget. Well, first of all, don't forget to get Roger's book on Lulu, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, my favorite book. That link will be in the description in the top comment. But also, don't forget. Well, actually, also don't forget to buy my merch. Buy that. Help fund the podcast, mm-hmm. you sexy bitches. But most importantly of all, everyone remember that Roger and I are running for office in 2028. Kerrigan Williams, global thermonuclear hope for all. Yes. A, a bright, hydrogen bomb in every driveway. A hydrogen bomb in every driveway. An implosion device in every living room. The future is bright. Never brighter. And there is a great warmth on the horizon. And 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 everything will cast a shadow. Everything will cast a shadow. <laughs> it, it, it there will our love will radiate in all directions. <laughs> the, there'll be a shockwave of Americanism. There'll be a shockwave of patriotism and hope. There will be everyone's gonna die. <laughs> We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it done once and for all. We're gonna get it done once and for all. We're gonna bring that debt down to zero. Damn straight. It'll be no one. No one will have money problems ever again. No one will ever have money problems again. It is. We are. It is going to be the brightest future possible. Very bright. Some would even say blinding. <laughs> Some would say that the warmth you're going to feel in your heart, some would say scalding. Some would say that our campaign is so forward thinking that it, it'll it burn the paint off your house. It's, it's as bright as the sun, it's man. It's as bright as the sun. <laughs> Maybe brighter. You'll feel the earth tremble. Kerrigan, yes. Kerrigan Williams, 2028. It's the 2050 initiative. Mm-hmm. Well, our... our and if we solve all of the world's problems and uh, then the bombs don't materialize, well, damn, won't that be disappointing? Well, yeah. <laughs> it looks like we'll just be politicians who didn't follow through on our promise. I know. So disappointing. We're going to keep Henry Kissinger alive. He'll be about 150. He... Isn't he already in one of those jars from no, future? No, Henry Kissinger's alive. He's 97 or 98 now. I tried to get him on my podcast. I got I got like an automated That would have been interesting. I got an auto, I got an automated rejection from his like office. But I wanted, That's too bad. That would have been that would have been good. I wanted to get Henry fucking Kissinger on. <laughs> Just ask him about I don't know. Be like is it What was it like to what was it like to pose for uh Playgirl? How much <laughs> How did how did you manage to pull off the JFK assassination before the dark web? How did you pay that when there wasn't Bitcoin? What was Lee Harvey like? On that note, Roger, let's wrap this bitch up. See you next week. All right, my man, I'll text you when it's up. Godspeed. Take care, everybody. And, of course, I'll text you, Roger. Take it easy, buddy. See you.